This is Tell Your Story. Today I'm speaking with Julie Stewart Binks. Let me set the stage. I was in New York a week ago. One morning I took the subway to the nomad area of Manhattan and arrived at Barstool Sports. Barstool Sports or just Barstool? I arrived at Barstool. It was the morning. Julie greeted me at the lobby. We rode up the elevator and as the doors opened, I saw a sea of men. I'm used to seeing a sea of men because I worked in the industry that is sports broadcasting. Sports broadcasting together are separate. It's just always with men. So I wasn't surprised. I also worked at Vice, which was heavily male-dominated as well. I guess the thing that was so different about Barstool was that it seemed kind of like a frat house, seemed kind of like a place where dudes hang out. And yet, at the same time, as I walked around the space, I saw in the corner office where the CEO sat, there was in fact a woman. And Julie walked around like a confident woman. And there were other females in the office, and everybody seemed to be getting along. And I thought, hmm, this is not what I expected. Now, of course, there's a lot that needs to be done or needs to be changed within the philosophy of Barstool, but perhaps it's not so much a reflection on the brand itself, although this has been created by them, it's more the reflection on the people who are consuming the content. And so when you have somebody like Julie who is balancing the act of masculine and feminine, it will probably take some time for the long-term invested Barstool fans to say, oh, okay, she's beautiful and she has brains and we like her for both. And also I'm not planning to fantasize about her. That's a whole other story. What I find most endearing about Julie is that it feels she's just on the cusp of really solidifying who she is as a human being. You know, we all go through ups and downs, some of us more publicly than others, which is Julie's case in that she found herself getting a lap dance from Rob Gronkowski during Super Bowl week on national television. She got vilified by women for that incident. But as I've come to learn in doing my workshops, there are always two sides to the story, sometimes even three. And what we women do oftentimes is put each other down without really listening. And so I decided that with this conversation, I was really going to listen to what Julie had to say. And I was really going to believe her and I was going to trust her until she proved otherwise. And I'm not saying she's going to prove me otherwise because I'm, I'm fully sold on the fact that she's a good person who was put into a situation that many of us probably wouldn't have had the strength to say no. Which is how Me Too gets into this conversation and Harvey Weinstein, an athlete's behavior. Yes, we called them out as well. I also talked to Julie about her as a person, the relationship with her parents, how her parents' divorce affected her as a young girl and how it still seems to carry a bit of weight as she navigates the world of dating. We talk about men. We talk about really trying to figure out how to find balance, if that's even possible, when someone is so dedicated to their work. There's a whole lot of other things we talk about here. I'll just save it for when you listen. But I think the most important takeaway of this entire conversation is her incredible ability to remain connected to the core of who she is even though she's been burned many times before. 
let me tell you from personal experience, that ain't easy. And I'm somebody who once burned shuts away from the world. And it took me a long time to find my voice and my strength and my power again. So just listen to how Julie deals with this thing that we called life. I won't say anymore. Here's my conversation with Julie Stewart-Banks. It's so crazy I haven't met you yet. I know. Yeah. We've never met. I've, I was thinking well, I've about that. I've watched your stuff like for years. I remember when you were on TSN. Oh, God. <laughs> I was in Regina. I remember I, I like so vividly remember because uh, you had like such a great red dress on um, for the NHL draft. Oh, that was a great dress. Yeah. <laughs> it was top shop. You know, are we are we recording? I think. Can we just start then? Yeah. In, yeah. in this way, too, because what's interesting about that red dress and that cube um, is that at that time I was also just one of the few women Mm -hmm. amidst a sea of men and so many guys walked up and were like oh is this is this the club is this where we drink vodka and I just thought you know I actually do have interesting questions and meaningful questions to ask these young players do you have to talk to me like that? Mm-hmm. But I obviously didn't have the bravado that I have now. Yeah, to be it's like, it's amazing. Like now, just the feelings you have, and and just like going back. I don't know. I host a radio show now, and if you don't go back, like you can't. Like there's no out. Like you can't just walk out the door. You have to battle back. And sometimes I've wanted to shy away from a conversation or, or move on, and now I realize like I have to dish it back no mm-hmm. matter what and it's tough yeah. you're not maybe used to doing that right well you don't want to constantly be on on the defense yes right because it's exhausting yeah but at the same time if you're not I guess the way that I would reframe it is my words are now I speak my truth mm-hmm. um, and that always comes from a space of love so it's not so much of being defensive because I have nothing to hide. I am who I am. That's great. That's like an amazing point to get to. Yeah. It's probably like very cathartic and freeing. Yeah, it's it's freeing. It's yeah. just this, you feel liberated that you can be yourself. And it's something that, you know, it just takes time to get to. But once you're there, it feels mm-hmm. feels like, okay, this, this is, is me. Yeah. And I don't really care what you think, you know? Yeah. And so therefore you can't take advantage of me. So, um. So usually at the beginning of the Tell Your Story podcast, um, you know, I'm very, I'm fascinated by this idea of society placing labels on us. So I'd love for you to kind of throw out all the labels that have been placed on you that maybe you even yourself carry and you say when you're in a meeting or on a first date or something. Um, But what would those labels be that you've had to carry? I mean, some of them are ones that have been placed on me, I guess, you know, I'm blonde, like I have big boobs. Um, so people would, I guess when I was younger or even just a te- not not a teenager, but but when I was in college, it'd be like, oh, you're you're like a bimbo or you're kind of like, not stupid, but you're kind of like a floozy. Like people kind of just instantly saw what you look like and they're like, oh, you're slutty or that kind of stuff. Um, not anything like n- coming from a negative point, but just like, oh, well, you look like that. So this is what you are. Um, 
and the things that I it's interesting you ask for labels I'm actually wearing a shirt that says wild feminist on it right yeah. now mm-hmm. <laughs> which I do believe I um I wear in an environment where I'm at right now which we're in as you noticed all males mm-hmm. I work at barstool sports and so I want to I sometimes try to like um counterbalance where I'm at by trying to show a bit more of an empowering role because I know that's who I am and I like to say that in job interviews or on dates like yes I'm a feminist I'm an empowered female I'm independent and a lot of those times I I think people might look at you and don't see those things so you want to tell them it and this is me wild feminist this is me telling everyone in that room that like hey I don't stand for bullshit so mm-hmm. I might, you know, be in an environment that's all dudes, but that doesn't change sort of who I am. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. As I walked into the space, um, it is mostly all men. Um, and, you know, we were talking about being on the defense. I wonder, like, in the mornings, do you feel like you need to put on an armor of sort? Um. Well, first of all, when I walk in here in the morning, I'm actually the first person to ever arrive. So I like have fun. I like dance and sing and do like Instagram videos on my own because I know I can just like fully be myself. Um, coming in here, I feel very comfortable for the most part. It All the guys are kind of, I liken it to a hockey team. It's like I play, because I play hockey with all guys. These are my friends. These are, you know, some people I get along closer with others. Everyone's pretty chill and everyone's joking around. And it's not serious at all. When I go into the radio studio, I feel ready for um, not battle, but I'm, I'm ready to bring it. Like you got to be ready to go because anything goes on on radio. And I've noticed working in that environment and maybe a culture that can be permeated and an idea that it is where Barcel is. F- I, I don't agree with necessarily this term, but this is just... As a, as a female, but it's for it's by the common man for the common man. That's sort of like, mm-hmm. but person will exchange that. Um, is that I, I come in here thinking, like that there's very strong male personalities. So I'm like, I gotta rise to the occasion, like and rise to who I tell everyone I am. Like I, if someone says something that I find offensive or sexist or whatnot on on a radio show in particular, I'm specifically speaking to that, mm-hmm. I will go at them mm-hmm. and. And you gotta you gotta be ready to go. And um, sometimes it comes naturally, and it's like, you know, we come from a place of it's like improv. We will go at one another, but at the end of the segment or whatever, we know we're coming from like a place of trust. So we have characters too. Sometimes it's real though. Sometimes like the thoughts that we have aren't the characters. That's that's beliefs and ideals, and um, it's just up to you. It's a, it is exhausting because I don't know how Stephen A. Smith and like Skip Bayless, or at least whatever Max Kellerman do it because it's a lot every mm-hmm. single day to be, especially if it's on stuff that means a lot to you as a person. You have to be willing to separate kind of your personal feelings on something and then the character or the message you're trying to get across or it will literally drive you insane Mm -hmm. yeah so that's interesting in the way of as we talk about labels I think like as a woman not only are you balancing this idea of you know you said big boobs bimbo Mm -hmm. um I'm sure there have been I mean actually I know there have been because as I as I type in your name in Google, oh, yeah. it's like hottest reporter. It's all based it's on actually, looks. It's it's funny because those 
topics. It's like hottest reporter or things like that. They actually never link back to me. It's like <laughs> it's it's like oh that's Aaron Andrews, right? Like but no, somehow no. It, you're there. You're <laughs> oh, there. Great, oh, I made the list. <laughs> no, but it's yeah, it's stupid kind of the stuff. Or like oh Julie Sherbank's husband or yeah. you know weird stuff. I yeah. don't know. So in that context, it's like not only do you have to deal with that, but you also have to understand and really perform to the personality that you create on air. So when you mention guys like Stephen A. Smith, um, these big ESPN um, personalities, I think that's the thing that viewers don't understand is that these people are personalities. Mm-hmm. I've certainly seen this in the sports world as an as a daughter of an athlete and then working in media is that a lot of times it is that switch that you turn on, right, where you have to be that on-camera person that everybody wants you to be, mm-hmm. but you also need to find time for just who you are. So I am I think I'm more interested and curious in understanding you as a person, as a woman, mm-hmm. uh, because the person that you're able to showcase to the world stems from who you truly are. So perhaps what would be interesting is like, I'd love for you to talk me through your first childhood memory. Do you know what that would be? Um, I don't know. Uh, that's a toughie. Probably, definitely when, I can say like an early one, I guess would probably be like when I was, when my brother was born. I'm, I was five at the time. So I probably have, uh, I think I remember, I don't know, just times when I was a kid yeah, like probably five and under is sort of like all all one, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember my brother being born, and it would be like I was given like a Barbie Barbie stuff, like because it was you know when kids are born. I don't know. It's like, okay, mom's going away for the night, and like you're gonna have a baby brother. But here's I remember it very vividly, like a horse, like a Barbie horse, is like mm. a present while you. While she was away giving birth? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's like, here's a toy. <laughs> well, you will get, like, a baby brother in a day or something. I don't know. I just, I remember getting a present from it, though. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction to him coming into the home? Um, I loved him. Like, he was, like, a little toy to me. Like, he was cute. He was so cute. Like, obs- I was obsessed with him, <laughs> which is so weird. Mm-hmm. But he was so sweet and cute and, like, you know, obviously couldn't talk or anything, but he was like, I just, uh, he was like a little stuffed toy. Mm-hmm. So there was no jealousy or anything of that nature. Not that I remember. I'm sure like my mom or my dad could go more into that or how I actually acted, but my memories are, and I look back on photos, like he's, he was just, and I know he hates it because we'll be like, Ian, you are so cute, as if he isn't now. Mm. Um, he's a 26 year old man. But he was just the sweetest little innocent, like a little pixie. And it was really sweet. Hmm. And what was the relationship like for you with your parents? It's been good. Like, I mean, it's always been good. It's been different. Like, my parents got divorced when I was 10. So that changes things. Hmm. Um, Just in terms of how, for me, how close I was with them, because it stemmed from physically, like, my mom ended up having my brother and I mostly taking care of us then. And then my dad, you know, had his own place. We stayed in the house and then he ended up getting remarried. And um, so I'm I'm close with both of them in different ways. Mm. If you are, I find 
the parent that you end up seeing every single day and is there for every little detail and all that kind of stuff is one that you probably have a closer bond with like at the end of the day but innately I'm more similar to my dad so really yeah which is you know we also look more similar than me and my mom which is kind of funny too so we like get each other a lot more but as my my mom is uh you know the person I just was on the phone with her I call her after every single show she listens to every single show and you know it's a different world for her she watched me on tv she was a broadcaster too but a radio broadcaster um did news Mm -hmm. and she was the one that like like kind of just said when I was at university you should try radio um because I think you'll have fun with it not as a career it was just like hey you're you're at the same university she went to why don't you volunteer and so I went to the radio station but they didn't have any openings Mm -hmm. so then I was like well I'll go to the tv station that's like not like wanting to do tv but I was like, I should join a club and like be social and whatever. And so um, went that way. But so she kind of obviously from an older, more traditional standpoint, we can talk about the like business. Mm -hmm. So that's like something different. Whereas my my dad is is on the medical field. So journalism and like TV stuff is not really real. It's it's just it's if you if I remember when I told him, um, I, I got into grad school for a journalism program. And he was like, oh, can I whisper something in your ear? I'm like, sure. And he says, med school. And I was like, dad, I fucking just got into journalism school. Like, I'm not going to med school. Mm-hmm. But he has uh, come around, obviously, hugely since that moment, which was like nine years ago. Because he was just like, you're not going to make any money in that industry. Like, you're not. And I was like, no, dad, I'm going to make... I'm going to make all the money in the industry. <laughs> I'm, I'm still on my, you know, trying to make that happen. But uh, And then he came to visit me at Fox Sports 1 when I first started there, when I'd been living in Regina, Canada mm-hmm. beforehand. And I remember he was, like, watching me on air and hosting Fox Soccer uh, – sorry, um, Fox Soccer Daily. And it was kind of like that moment where he's like, all right, you did it. Like, mm-hmm. you – you made it. Hmm. Do you feel that, is there any part of you that feels like, why did I have to prove to you? Like, why did you have to see me on Fox Sports 1 to believe that what I chose was the right decision? Um, I mean, I think it's just like how different people have different preconceived notions about stuff. And maybe he, as being my mom's former husband and having seen her kind of go through maybe working in small towns in Canada and like radio and you know you don't make a whole lot of money in that maybe that came from his ideals on that thinking oh well Julie because I told him I wanted to be a surgeon at one point which then was like oh my god thank god I didn't become a surgeon I would have been like so (laughs) depressed and like I can't like I can't like put a needle in someone like why did I think I was gonna be a surgeon damn it um I just think it's sort of human nature and while some people it's it's almost just like a, I don't take it personally because I see, you know, I have preconceived notions about other people or I don't have any like I either almost like have unconditional love to people and then I have doubts about other things to people. And it's like just I don't I don't take it personally. And I, and I think it's just we ha- and I'm sure as a parent, like I'll have an ideal of what I think oh, my kid's good at it and what they should do. But at the end of the day, it's their life. Like, 
you know? Mm-hmm. And I hope I'm not. I hope I don't have something. Like, I hope I just, yeah, if you want to, like, if you're trans, like, go, you know, be do be who you are. Like, if you want to do this or that, just, I think we now live in a different age where that's maybe a little bit more acceptable. Mm-hmm. Not saying I'm trans, obviously. But yeah, yeah. This is the time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I don't think of it in any negative way. Mm-hmm. What did that do for you in terms of understanding relationships or your idea of what relationships are about and seeing your parents separate at the age of 10 and then build their own lives outside of that I mean it's obviously difficult like anyone listening who's been through it it's not easy and it's never just like in a vacuum it's not oh this happened and you move on like it's something that you live with for the rest of your life and you have to bring up in conversations like this you know um which is what's strange no no it's fine like I think it's so common when I when it originally happened I was very embarrassed as a kid because I went to this like very prestigious private girls school in Toronto and nobody had divorced parents Mm -hmm. and I like hit it I didn't tell anyone and my my friends knew because their parents told them but I was like yeah everything's a-okay in Julie's world um which it wasn't definitely at all but then I I just like hit it and I think that like because I wasn't I was a competitive figure skater growing up and Mm -hmm. I obviously learned how to control emotions and how to you know manipulate that side of your brain and I just buried the shit out of that (laughs) I was like all right that happened. Okay, bye. I'll probably see you in 10 to 15 years, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it affects... I'm starting to think more and more about it now as I try to have relationships with men. And I, like, don't really have... I haven't really dated a whole lot of guys. Um, I think a lot of that is I've lived in three different countries and, like, seven different cities in the last eight years. where just travel all around. But I, because I've been thinking about it, you know, why do I have a hard time getting close to people? And I think, I'm starting to realize I think it's because of that. Like, probably slightly abandonment issues. Not abandonment, but just, I'm, like, I I almost, I've been to a couple, this sounds silly, but I've been to, like, a couple tarot card readers and, like, fortune tellers recently because I find it very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't until this point. But they're, all of them say the same thing. They're like, "You're, you're to a fault very independent where you don't let like anyone in and you just want to do it your own and I say that's very true in my career but also in my love life my personal life where it's don't let like I got this like I don't want to let you in because why um I think I'm selfish at one point I uh, would rather do the things I want to do than like and you can't with a partner I guess you can but I don't know. I, like, don't really have a whole lot of experience, like, being with someone else. Hmm. Like, it's weird, you know? Uh, Like, it's it's strange. Like, I'm trying to... I, like, would much rather just do my own thing all the time than... And I would like to have a meaningful relationship with somebody. And then sometimes I think maybe I just don't, like, really like any of the people I've been with. Hmm. And that... I mean, I actively dated people that, like, weren't really like actors in LA that obviously are insecure and have commitment issues as well and so there's there was never really you never really got close with them anyways but it was like cool to date actors Mm -hmm. so I don't know um I do think I mean I don't want to like self-analyze my me but perhaps having those issues growing up 
I think I carry it still in terms mm-hmm. of like getting close with someone. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you, you mentioned abandonment and it's not so much abandonment as it is as a child, you need support and you need belonging and you need a system that works. And when that system is cracked, inevitably, there is always that piece of you that thinks, what did I do? And, and, and what was wrong and why did this break? And so I think in that way, it's like to not feel that ever again, it's almost better to just not go there. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just like, yeah. Okay. Same within sports, same within life. Like anything bad happens, you're like, okay, that fucking sucked. Let's move on. And mm-hmm. don't, I don't want to deal with you. Which is, you know, and you mentioned <laughs> competitive figure skating, right? How you said compartmentalizing your feelings and manipulating them and also, you know, shutting them down and mm-hmm. putting them aside. Um, from the sports world, and I've had these conversations with athletes as well as with my my younger brother in that there's this mentality of you know you win or you lose and you process it in that moment and then you move on you know even if you look at press conferences with coaches it's like we're already on to the next game Mm -hmm. and so there's this whole this whole kind of pattern of never really understanding or feeling what just happened right Um, but there's so much Bless you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much um, growth in that moment. So it's almost like hearing you talk about dating or trying to date. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't try very hard to date. Okay. I like, I'm so obsessed with my career. I know that sounds like a cop out probably, but I am, I am obsessed with it mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, I believe that those... I don't want those like dating and and other people to distract me from the ultimate goal. So let me ask you this. What is your definition of dating? Like going out for dinner and one time (laughs) (laughs) going out for frozen yogurt. Um, I guess it would be like multiple dates with either the same person or different people. Mm hmm. So, so I, not exclusive. No, exclusive would be like right uh, right now I'm like sort of dating someone but um there's like a part of me that doesn't really want it to go to the next level because I'm not necessarily sure I want it to because the, it's him or because you're so focused on your career. Um bit of column A bit of column B. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and yeah, you kind of just start to uh, maybe it's just when you're older too and I think like I'm 30, I don't almost don't want to waste time with people that I start to see I've had like seven dates with you and this ain't going to be a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like why waste my time now? Mm-hmm. And so I just think like mm, nope, move on and not like there's anyone else. It's just if I can be going out to events or meeting people or being inspired by someone, I'd rather be doing that than like going to someone's house for dinner and watching a movie and being like kind of into them. I mm-hmm. think of that as almost taking away from like my development as a person, mm-hmm. which is I, that where I think the selfishness sort of comes into. But it's also just like living your life, you know, like what is it like not giving a fuck about stuff? It's like, hey, you know, I don't have time for this. I'd rather be. You know, like going to your function tonight rather than feeling like feeling like I have to go hang out with a dude because we're dating. Mm. You know, <laughs> in, in my ideal world, it would be 
this dude would understand. Agreed. And that's where the that's where the one thing is that it's like that's not the right person then. Right. People have to um one of my deal breakers is like I want you to be very supportive. Um I will be very supportive of you and um and and whatever that looks like, I don't need you to watch every show. I don't need you to do any of that kind of stuff, but just understand that it is a demanding world and that I do like to have freedoms and do things like I I cannot be contained. Like I'm almost like claustrophobic in that regard, mm-hmm. you know, and I would rather someone just be like, yeah, we're cool. And then we have our own lives mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. But the insecurities, the the doubt, the trust issues, like I can't, I like run from that. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel that you're too good at being single yeah i'm very good at being single yeah and not in that like i go around and have one night stands or anything like that because that that doesn't appeal to me at all either because there's no real connection with the person but uh i am very good at being single i you know good on going on a date here or there good at seeing my friends good at being present in people's lives to a certain extent good at staying late at work but maybe like true human connection actually that was some um, the things that kind of came up in some of the tarot card fortune teller stuff that I got was just that you I have very few close friends, which I do believe like a like two to three max and no one else is in there mm-hmm. at all. Everything everyone else like I think might be around there, but they're kept at arm's distance and they were like, you keep them that way for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoo, heavy stuff. I do think it's interesting that you want an answer. What do you mean? Like you're seeking an answer. Therefore, you're going oh, to these with tarot them? people. Yeah, I'm finding it. Yeah, I'm definitely kind of like in a, I'm in a very big position of change right now in my life. So moved from L.A. like two months ago and moved jobs. I am still potentially working with ESPN. I just ended today my contract with them, which is like awkward. But uh I'm I'm working with Barcelona and I really enjoy it and I'm getting to do like a ton of my own stuff. But it's complete the my whole world is completely different from what it was two months ago. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with change as I've changed my entire life all the time, it can have like different effects on you, right? Like it can be you can think it's like no problem, but then you realize there there are like okay, this is maybe a bit more difficult than I thought. You know, it's, oh, yay, this is great, and this is great, and this is cool, but, wow, everything's completely different now. Mm -hmm. And you get so kind of ingrained in habits and relationships, and then, boom, all that's different. Mm -hmm. And now you have to go do everything completely new. And for me, my biggest thing is just um, having a a completely different approach to my work. Mm -hmm. Like, as you said, you know, the personality I exuded on air for my whole career was of essentially broadcaster Julie, which was very, you know, stats, facts oriented, some personality here and there for fun, like whatever, but nothing too much. And then this is all, this is very much like open up your entire self, push it to the extreme limits that you possibly can. Do it as much as you can. Push other people. Go for it. Go for it. And and I'm I'm definitely it's it's a challenge 
because I don't necessarily feel fully comfortable doing that yet, which is not and not saying anything crazy coming from a traditional broadcast standpoint. But um, is it a traditional broadcast standpoint or is it that you're having to fill the masculine essence of Barstool? Um, I think it's it's. What you mean? Sorry, can you say that again? Yeah. So, like in in traditional broadcasting, you're playing this this role, right? I mean, you could have as like news reporter. Yeah. Let's whatever. say you had gone to work for Refinery Twenty Nine. That's more of a feminine type of, you know, you're also uh, open and vulnerable, but in a different type of way. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, this like push and pull and being, you know, all these things. Like it sounds as you're talking. Yeah. It sounds very manly like very masculine yeah yeah i mean it's definitely masculine in here uh i mean i if i said it wasn't it would be wrong but why are you playing that too um i think it's just the type of content like the 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 vibe here and sort of the mantra is that there is no boundaries and you can say whatever you want you can do whatever you want and it's sort of encourage the Mm anti-establishment the don't hold back say whatever you feel say whatever you want which is not the background I've come from at all. Like I feel on social media and like Instagram, I have a, a lot of fun with it now. Mm-hmm. And I like being able to do that and show personality. Um, I haven't done that really ever, I realize, in a work environment. Mm. So there is a change in terms of how you think. For instance, doing a radio show for ESPN, it, it wildly different. And, and, and it's almost like learning how to untrain your brain in a way. But I do believe there is merit in bringing those things into an environment like this, being able to have fun, being able to open up, but then also not being stupid. Mm -hmm. And I still have that voice in my head where I know I know my limit that I feel comfortable with. And I feel like that's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Some people don't think it's a good thing. Some people think of that as a negative, Mm -hmm. having, you know, a little voice in your head that says, maybe don't chime in on this conversation or maybe... Uh, maybe hold it back a bit, mm-hmm. but and and that's all of us. We all have those differing boundaries. We all have those differing feelings, and that makes us who we are. We're not not all of us are going to go three thousand percent every single day, because then it would be girls gone wild in Cancun or something like that. I don't know. We mm-hmm. all bring something different to the table, and that's everyone in this office has a different personality, and they all are characters. Like everyone has, you know, I'm just still finding out people's real names because everyone has like a nickname here that I was like, oh, what's, the other day I was like, what's Riggs's name? I realized I didn't even know what, Rig, what his real name was. Like, oh, that's Sam. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know, <laughs> right? Like just mm-hmm. different, just a completely different world. Um, but I like the idea that, Obviously, I've been questioned quite a bit, you know, why coming here and that kind of stuff. I like first there's many things that kind of drew me here. One was the abil- ability to create. And our CEO, Erica Nardini, is uh, very supportive. Um, she's a brilliant, brilliant woman. And she got me in that, like, you can do whatever you want. If you want to create any kind of show, hockey show, whatever, soccer show, we will give you that platform to do it. And that's something I never felt at ESPN at Fox. Mm -hmm. So the irony of the situation is while people might see a place like Barstool because it is predominantly dudes as being a frat house, as being all these, you know, stereotypes that we kind of see. Ironically, it's like the Fox Sports ones and the ESPNs that almost put women in a smaller role. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas they're here being like, do whatever you want. We want you to be a big personality, do the crazy things, have a platform. Whereas if I tried to get those things, it's like, no, you can be the sideline reporter or no, you can be the host mm-hmm. that gets to ask Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp a question and then you lay out for five minutes. You don't have the opinion in that show. Right. So that's where it's sort of a bit different on the two fronts. I just think it's wild that Barstool is usually known in terms of women. It's, it is in the way of not objectifying, maybe it's the wrong word, but seeing them as physical um, individuals. So as a woman here now who is attractive, do you feel that that is a conversation that you want to have um and if you do have it is anyone listening i mean as you said like there are no boundaries here and you can push it to wherever you want to go so and it's an everyday man's something Mm -hmm. along those lines i'm paraphrasing you but i don't think that a man clicking on barstool necessarily wants to hear a woman say this is how you you should or Mm -hmm. we prefer for you to act towards women yeah no that's a that's a very fair point um first of all when it was started all this stuff uh it's no surprise that like this is the mantra is like hot girls equals clicks like people know that that Mm -hmm. you put a picture of a hot girl on a website or on an article or thumbnail like people are going to click on it and but in this office i've never felt any kind of misogynism sexism any of that like Mm -hmm. these guys couldn't be more supportive and like there was an article about me the other night um and yes about being like espn and barstool that kind of thing and so many of the office guys like texted me being like wow we're you know we're just really so happy to have you here and we think that like you're such a great addition i'm like well it was like kind of really nice like that you you kind of recognize that i don't know i come from a different background and it's it's kind of crazy coming here um I will say that I think it was at first uh, probably a bit surprising for some of our listeners when I, in some of our early shows, you know, was very open about the fact that I'm a feminist and that I'm also very, very liberal. We don't try to go too much into politics, but politics has come into sports, so Mm -hmm. that becomes a a talking point. But that, you know, if my coworkers do say something that I find, if even if they're doing it in jest, like a joke about women or a joke about this or that, I go at them about it. And it's like, you know, that's not that's not how we do things. Or, or, and I'll be tongue in cheek back about it and then maybe flip the script on them in a way. Or, oh, is this like, do guys do this or this? Like, I kind of show them the ridiculousness of some of the things I say. And we have fun with it. So we try to do it in a way that it's it's um, helping our audience sort of remember that we do not live in the 19 19- hundreds anymore Mm -hmm. and I think with the culture of everything going on you can't live in the 1900s anymore Mm -hmm. and I think with Barstool adding more and more women we have a you know female CEO we have a female CRO Uh, I come in Liz Gonzalez comes in she used to work at MSG and then we have these two women who are just fresh out of college who have their own radio show Fran and Rhea who are doing so much as well so we're showing you know, there's only five of us or whatever in the office, but we're like doing so much with it. And I can't tell you how many female listeners and even male listeners, too, that reach out and are like, you know what? It's really awesome that you guys are showing like just how 
how strong and, um, you know, opinionated and talented you are in like a room full of these dudes here. So it's kind of like being behind enemy lines in a way. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that in in this regard, the culture is changing of what of, of how we do believe women should be viewed and treated and anything like that. Behind enemy lines. So I'm trying to kind of I'm und- saying that in like tongue in cheek in a way. I get you. Yeah. But it it's perfect for what your what I where I want to take this because uh when I was when I I knew that I was obviously going to interview you, so I I reached out to a few people mm-hmm. and I'm not surprised, but I'm also surprised then then this is where it becomes difficult to like fully articulate. Yeah. So many men were like, "Oh yeah, Julie's the best." Like she's my favorite awesome and then from a female perspective it was yeah i mean i don't know like just not positive things really yeah that's so sad and in in not in a way of of criticizing your work or what you've done but like in a way where i i mean i see it as as intimidation or maybe jealousy um or maybe yeah, I would think it fear. I mean, all of those are fear. I think it's it's right if you want to keep going with that or No, go in. Go I ahead. think it's um I think it's interesting you say that. First of all, it's uh am I surprised a little bit? Maybe that's like the Canadian in me that's like, "Wait, but I want to be friends with everybody." <laughs> um but also not surprised because I get like the world of like obviously with women it's it's very competitive and it's right so let me stop you there yeah why uh because i think the patriarchy you know i think it's from when i see how guys and i've looked in the office a lot like i wonder you know they're all very supportive of one another and i think there is a culture created between women mm-hmm. that it's like we we put each other against one another we're very competitive with one another because it's almost like we were there was always only one one, one woman or there was there's like one sideline reporter that's like this or one queen bee yeah and so but I did my undergrad thesis on female sports broadcasters like way many years ago and I remember it was just you know everyone's gender is so highlighted until you aren't the minority anymore then it's not about your gender it's just like about who you are as a person and so when i see these guys helping each other out and congratulating one another and yada 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 whereas i don't see that necessarily with women regardless of whatever office you're in it's it's maybe because of just the amount of people that are like the amount of dudes versus the amount of women and kind of that survival of the fittest mm-hmm. and being and and I think we internalize it like we constantly compare ourselves to other women versus probably a dude comparing us like me versus another woman in my office is probably us doing that to one another versus any of the guys in here really even caring mm-hmm. or knowing anything. You know, guys are so usually aloof on any of that kind of stuff. But I noticed it when I had like, uh, you know, an incident a couple of years ago that I was heavily scrutinized, which I'm sure you found on the Internet yeah, about the Gronk thing. Yeah. When Rob Gronkowski and my lap dance, um, all the criticism, almost 100 percent was females. Um, what for, were they for, saying? For various different reasons. First of all, the incident was like 
very had many different layers in it because it was a planned incident behind the scenes that was question written for me. I was given money. I bought into it, like, and I own it. That I. What do you mean? Give, you were given money. Oh, to to put on. Uh, oh, to, to give do to, to, yeah, to give to, to like dollar bills or whatever. Um, but at the time, I was essentially told by new executives at FS1 that they didn't think I was an interesting personality. And they say, we don't hmm. think you should be a part of this show or we don't think you have a future here in terms of being um, like an opinionist or, or a big deal. And But someone else wants you on this show, so we'll let you have this week and we'll see what you can do. And I was like, no, I can do it. Like, I can be whatever you guys want me to be. I can... They're like, you're just a soccer reporter. Like, you're not... You ain't this. And I was like, no, I can do this. And I, like, believed that I could do this kind of stuff. And so when push came to shove where it would be, we were discussing what the incident was, it was, you know, okay, Julie, you're gonna, you're cool to do this? 1,000%. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to be doing this with a big fucking smile all over my face and absolutely loving it and not even thinking twice about what could potentially be a PR shitstorm over this. And first of all, I didn't give any lap dance to anyone. That's one thing that's also like another side layer of all this. Um, but when it first came out it was kind of like wow that was pretty edgy and crazy and then it was like women coming after me in droves like saying that I had essentially like ruined journalism for women feminism um that I was uh disgraceful that it was and it was really difficult to read like this one woman who I'll never ever forget for the rest of my life wrote an article about me in the Chicago Tribune Shannon Ryan mm-hmm. and she just said uh, it was a dis- – I, for- I forget the title, but it was, like, disgraceful, disturbing, um, basically saying I was ruining all the things I just said, that I, I was setting women back, that I I had no morals, that I was, I was you know, I was a floozy that w- ended up hurting journalism for, for women. And I, like, that hurt my feelings so much because anyone who would even talk to me or know who I was would know that was, like, the antithesis of everything I've – been my entire life. And Does so it still hurt now? Um, I feel as though I've. It does reading that does because I read it the other week. I was like showing someone about it, but I feel as though comfortable in who I am and that like I know that I don't need that stuff to validify and verify that I know who I am and. That, I guess, is media and publicity and all that kind of stuff. But I, you know, came out the next day on the show and I just said, and we actually, my bosses behind the scenes were like, what do you guys want to say on this? Because we had to. It was the biggest story at Super Bowl week, bar none. And I said, you know what? The biggest thing is just I've been slut shamed for this incident. Not one single man came at me over this, regardless of how you felt. It was an entire gender that came at me. And I said, you know, not one single person even reached out to me. No one called, no one messaged, no one, nothing before writing articles, before jumping to conclusions about the type of person I was, the type of goals I had, to even know that there was so much behind the scenes. Yes, could we have done that incident better? Of course. Could have offered him a chair to get the lap dance to. Could I, you know, there was a male coworker on the couch. I could have said, do that to him. That's all part of improv and yes and and, and learning those things. And and I feel like if that incident was happening now, kind of like what I deal with every day, I have a better 
I have a better sense of myself and I have a better sense of where that line is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I know when it goes too far. I know when it's – if someone here said, you know, you should be doing this, and I say, yeah, I don't know if I feel that way about it. It's like now – You have like, that inner voice. Yeah, and maybe – and that comes with experience mm-hmm. and, and having been burned so publicly nationally, uh, I certainly – know not to touch that hot stove and I know how to to go far like I'm not gonna say that oh my whole life's ruined over it I mean it thickened my skin 1000 percent but it's uh, made me a little weary about you know who you tell things to how open you are especially like with females like with any other reporters because um everyone is trying to get your job or trying to make sure you don't get that other job and that's just the reality. What does this tell you about women? Just that um, I think we're competitive, but I don't think it's like our fault. I think it's just like a societal construct of how we, like how we, th- like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've definitely been like competitive with other women. Of course, that would be like wild if I hadn't, if I hadn't thought, oh, like, why did she get that job? Like, I'm better at this or Oh, you know, she messed up on that. I wouldn't have messed up on that. Um, but the the thing is, like, how do you know? Because I, too, have been in that instance where, you know, what you're talking about in having these execs ask you to prove it. Mm-hmm. Prove your worth to me. Can you take this job? Can you show us something? Right. You know? And perhaps, yeah, had it been now where you know your worth. Very different. And also I think everything with Me Too movement would have it's, it's helped immensely in knowing. you to say no. Yeah, being like, because some people came at me and they said, why wouldn't you just say when Gronk said, oh, give you a lap dance? You say no. I said, say no? Are you kidding me? I would have been fired in an, in that commercial break. But like, you can't handle it, I guess. Like you, that, that idea that sensitivity or having a boundary is a negative, mm-hmm. right? Um and I think, and I'm really happy with, and I think every woman could, hopefully every woman can say that this has been amazing, although it's been awful, but to everything to sort of come to a head with, with no, you cannot act like that in a workplace environment. No, you cannot treat women that way. And it's been like a real galvanizing effect with women, I find, because it's, we've almost been going at one another and, and being separated for so long and, and looking at each other as a negative rather and while a lot of the times it's executives, male executives kind of, cre- they're the ones creating like kind of these cultures. Yeah, it's a tough conversation because I've had talks with women where they say, you know, in, in the instance of the Me Too movement and the Harvey Weinstein scandal of some are, you know, some who have gone through those experiences say, yeah, I, I mean, me too. I would have been in that room. And others who say, why would you ever go into that room? And I really feel that that's the the difference in A, the uh, industry that you're working in, and B, how do you define your self-worth and self-love? Mm-hmm. I'm the person who didn't have either. I would have been right in that room with Harvey Weinstein, 100%. I probably would have done the lap dance with Rob Gronkowski, 100%, because I wanted to prove that I mattered and that I yeah. could be seen. Now, in this new way of being and thinking where I don't need to prove anything to anybody because I know that I stand in my truth, it it doesn't matter. And, and I'm not in the rat race to get that job. 
because if that's what I have to do to get that job, I don't want it, mm-hmm. you know? So I think the message in all of that is, A, women need to be kinder to themselves yeah, and to others and to also understand that we're human beings and we make mistakes. Um, and sometimes we're led down that road where we can't even see that there is a fire at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it, it breaks my heart to know that someone will come out and say something so negative without hearing the other side of the story or really put or use empathy put themselves in the person's shoes you know like how would you act in that and you really don't know yeah um so i think having gone through it it helped me in that like when i saw things happen to other people um especially publicly like a bad thing or something it made me very um cautious to jump to any conclusions on anything it was I know exactly what it's like to have been in a really shitty situation and not entirely by choice I mean I'm not dismissing that I didn't 100% say yes and you know and go for it but to be convinced and um, to to do something that potentially I wasn't comfortable with just because I felt like I had to do it mm-hmm. and yeah I've I've I haven't I wouldn't say I would have gone into the room with Harvey Weinstein but I I might have like I especially if it was like I I don't know it it's it's maybe especially if you didn't know what was going to happen but you might have been like something might happen you probably still would have walked into that room because mm-hmm. it's just you just to say no I don't feel comfortable going in there is even huge on its own just saying no I don't feel like going into that office Mm -hmm. like that even in itself would have been like kind of looked down on in Mm -hmm. a way um it's 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 like a tough industry it's a tough world it doesn't even matter like what industry you're in but it's definitely still so prominent and the fact working here when i see all these guys no matter who's new that's added whoever is doing really well no one like shit talks Mm -hmm. no guys shit talk the other guys for the most part, like sometimes they're like, oh, that sucked or whatever, or, oh, that sucks for that guy. But they don't really mean it. Like they're not mean mm-hmm. to one another. Yeah. To me, that's the, that's the definition of human capital of just having kind hearted humans, mm-hmm. period, not men or women. It's like, what do you bring to the table? You know? Yeah. And then it's like, how do we change that? Right. Like I even think in my head, how could I be? how could I be better at that? Well, there's not just one job, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's what we think. There's only one job for this female. There's only one, only one person can do this show or do that. But that's not necessarily the case. It was the case for certain, but I think that's changing. And as I said, the more, and it's easier said than done, but it's like the more women that are in this office, the less it becomes about our gender. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, that's easier said than done because then more women in the office, then everyone will be competitive and, you know, whatever. But if they don't have conversations like this, that's why this is important. Yeah. Because I'll tell you that five years back, I wouldn't have pressed or even asked anything about this because I wouldn't even want to go there. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And to me in speaking your truth and in really telling your story i mean it it facilitates 
connection. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I see you and I, I understand you. And so now I feel something for you and I, I want to be of service and I want to help. Um, and I think it's having these difficult conversations that like no one taught us how to have. I know. Right. So it's like the more women that filter into these positions, it's, it is being a leader in that sense. Right. Of being that woman to walk up to somebody and say, Hey, I know you're new. Hey, I know this is how office politics usually are, but like if you ever need anything and I fully mean that, yes, you know, like I am here, I'm, I'm not going to be, I made a promise to myself to not be that woman to put other women down. Yeah. You know, I think that and and saying that and then empowering others to do the same thing. That's the only way that this thing will change. And it's so huge. Like when people do do that, it's so huge. Yeah. Like it's you will remember them forever when they do that kind of stuff. But too often that never happens. And then the people that we complain about that talk poorly about us are essentially us doing that to other people. Yeah. 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 Which is crazy, you know. Mm -hmm. But it takes yeah time. I mean, it's. I think like as I've gotten older, I've definitely gotten like more in touch with myself. And I think working here in an environment that's like made me feel uncomfortable sometimes just because of like just the person I am, not necessarily because I've done anything, but just challenged certain views and ideals and how that just the people I'm around. It's very different. It's 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 focused me to become more in tune with who I am and what I want. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really good. While sometimes I felt it was very difficult it, through pressure, sometimes it's like that's where you find where you're going, mm-hmm. right, and what mm-hmm. you want. So, mm-hmm. did Rob ever say anything to you after Gronkowski? Oh no, no, never. Nothing. Yeah, I'd never met him. That's the only time I've ever met him. Is then people always ask me like, "Oh, you must know him, or you guys are friends." It's like, no, that's the only time I've ever talked to him. Even though he was aware of all of. I mean, he must have known because it went so viral. Like, it put FS1 on the map that week. And I was, I mean, afterwards I was told it was like, thank you for executing a plan. And I was like, sure thing, boss. Like, yeah, I did it. And then I was like, wow, I did it. And they're trending and I look like the shit. Like, not in a good way. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I haven't, and, and I was curious. Some people are like, oh, you should reach out to his agent, try to talk to him. I'm like, why me? Like, Yeah, what? Yeah, like yeah. that. He could have, it would have been cool, but of him being like, yeah, that, you know. Sorry. Yeah, or even just, yeah, something that was, I mean, who knew he was going to do something like that at the time? But then again, like, it was hunt. it was open season, you know, I, I asked for it. Um, so you never know. And people are like, oh, you should have known Gronk's a party boy. He was going to do that. I'm like, I did not think he would have done that at all. Because, hmm. you know, athletes on air, they don't ever do anything. Yeah, it depends, I guess. This question keeps coming up for me for some reason. Do you feel like there's um? I already know the answer to this. In my <laughs> life, but a double standard for athletes in particular in the way that they interact with women in and outside of the locker room. Yeah, definitely. Like... In terms of the athletes versus normal I guess, people, yeah, or normal women? people, but even even personnel like pe- those who work in in and on the team, um, athletes just have this kind of, you know, you guys can do whatever you want type of thing. Yes, they get like a, they get like a hall pass to do whatever they want, and they're sort of holier than thou in a way. So in terms of that, like if I was to 
say I was a, um, a what a, I worked with the Patriots mm-hmm. and something like that happened. Obviously, I would be fired if something happened then versus him. But and that's not to say that I mean he obviously is a huge part of the organization and he's winning Super Bowls. And say I was a team reporter and that happened to be like boom, Julie out of here, gone. Um, is I mean I don't know that that's kind of a hard one to to put on the same playing field. But in that regard, the athlete always like the athlete or the celebrity. Well, maybe not celebrity, but the athlete kind of is always right. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that there's not a Me Too story from the world of athletes? Uh, in terms of, like, people working in sports around them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, has there been some stuff or no? I feel like... I'm surprised some of that stuff wasn't in Sean Avery's book. About him? No, no, not about him. He doesn't. He's not really revealing anything about himself. He's just yeah. revealing about other people. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> um, I, it's definitely you. I mean, it's surprising as you know. I worked for a team for three years, and behavior of athletes is certainly uh, not always very holy. Uh, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But also, I think that it's it's like a weird environment. Um, I don't even know how to get into it. Like, do we just say like that's a lo- that's a locker room type of culture that no, they're like that? We yeah, we don't say that. But I mean, I don't. I never was harassed or assaulted or. But that's that. That to me is is the question. Like, what is harassed or assaulted? Like, right. What is there merit in someone saying you're sexy? Mm-hmm. You know. It, yeah. That's inappropriate, right? right? So. Yeah, it's like what is the the line? Like what is kind of the boundary that we I think we obviously accepted a lot more than we would now, but now it kind of makes you question, well, when you walk by guys warming up like behind the scenes and they all like stop and like whistle and slam like their sticks on the ground or something, is mm-hmm. that now is that harassment? Yeah, that is harassment. Like if you feel uncomfortable walking by athletes are going to cover because they're going to whistle at you that's not appropriate Mm -hmm. but sometimes people would say well that's just how they are yeah that's just part of the job you just got to be able to deal with it i actually had like i wrote about it years ago when i was at queens where i interviewed the men's football team and they were really inappropriate when i got there it's like my second ever interview for queens tv and my boyfriend at the time was on camera, and they were uh, – it couldn't have been worse. We were on the field, too. We were just doing some silly, like – Your boyfriend was on camera, meaning he was on the team? Oh, uh, sorry. He was uh, the cameraman. Oh, okay. And he was shooting it, and I was interviewing the quarterback, and then – and it was on the field, and then all the players were, like, kind of, like, hooting and hollering around, and one was, like, down on the ground humping it, and then another guy, like, had his dick out. Hmm. And I remember we – I just stopped doing the interview and we kind of looked at each other and we're like, let's get out of here right now. And we did. And I wrote to the athletics director and I just said, you know, I felt um, both my boyfriend and I felt like really uncomfortable in this unprofessional environment where these are the things that happen. And that's not what I all anyone should have to go through when they're trying to do anything, regardless yeah. of like also promoting the team. And the coach wrote back. 
actually, I, th- I forget if I went to the coach first, but the coach just wrote back being like, well, Julie, if you want to be a sports reporter, you have to learn how to take this kind of behavior. And I was like, that is not an okay answer. Yeah. And then I sent it to like the head of like the university, basically. And I then got a formal apology like written from him. And so did my boyfriend, regardless of like gender. I mean, he was harassed too. Mm-hmm. So at an early age, like I know where the, I know when th- when things aren't right. Like I kind of tell you know, you get asked all the time, well, you work in a male-dominated environment, you have athletes around all the time, you have fans, you have people. It's the culture of masculinity is so ripe and so intense. How do you deal with it? It's like, well, I kind of have an idea. I know in my head when it goes when it goes too far. Like, you have blinders on for a lot of it and mm-hmm. you just ignore it. Like, you have to or you're going to – and I think now these days you don't have to ignore it as much we have to ignore it because or else it'll drive you insane and you'll it'll end up hurting your work hurting your interviews and I said but I know if when someone does something that goes too far then I know how to deal with it I know who to talk to I know what to say and I feel comfortable doing that and but now I would say that that bar is probably a lot different you know like maybe it's if I was to go back now and I would be curious what kind of conversations teams have with their players and their athletes now with kind of everything that's come out yeah I and you know it's part of the reason why I left because I I don't think I could add on any more thicker skin Mm. it just was enough Um, but my brother plays for the OHL and they're certainly not having these types of conversations yeah um I'm assuming they're not really being had in in the NHL either. Um, They'd probably just be like, "Don't be stupid, guys." Right, and That's it's it. it's more about not respecting women. It's more about protect your identity and your brand. Um, but I'd love for someone from the NHL to contact me and say, "Actually, no, it's we're doing this X, Y, and Z." Like I I made a goal for myself with these workshops that I'm doing I really want to do a men's gather for a professional team oh that'd be amazing yeah so in that because I think those are the conversations I'm assuming they're not having so if you guys are doing them I'd love to know about this but I certainly don't doubt it yeah I just doubt it be interesting that because you have you have a very good way about you of of um allowing people to really open up like I definitely feel as though I'm opening up like a lot more than I probably would to anyone else maybe just standard sort of interviewing you have a very good way of uh listening and like feeling um just feel kind of like safe to talk about stuff but also I don't even know what it is you just have a very warm feeling about you and I think that if you were to do that with them you would elicit like real responses from people and I mean, obviously, and even in saying this, like I'm not fully being myself, of course, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I know, like I can sense when I'm like, all right, we're going to go down this path instead of that path, right? Because also the medium we're on too. It's like, you think I don't necessarily want to, for you and me having a coffee by ourselves versus you and me on air is of course. a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think like I'm pretty open in that regard, but we all know we all have like, Boundaries. Different boundaries, especially yeah. based on, you know, what we do, mm-hmm. who's around there, all these other different um, external pressures. But I think it would be kind of cool to just like really raw get guys who have such who live in these worlds of masculinity, money, 
uh, fame, all power. this yeah. power, big time power. Yeah. And just break it all down and kind of like find out who they are yeah. and how they feel about all these things. Yeah. Well, you'll see tonight when you come to the women's circle, it's similar to the men's and it's it's an amazing place to really be yourself. Do you find like how do you do you know a lot of people that come or do you find people that sort of just randomly reach out? Yeah. At this point, I'm getting close to hit 25 of these workshops. Um, and wow. In the, in the Detroit area, it's gotten to a place where I have 12 new faces each time which is wonderful. But there, there's something really special about the repeats as well mm-hmm. because you see the change in them. You know, they walk in so heavy and then they walk out empowered and light. And That's so good. That's yeah. like amazing to see that effect on people, I'm sure. Yeah, it's good. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that yeah. more. Um, how are we on time? Okay, we're almost up. So I want to ask you the last set of questions that I ask everybody towards the end. Um, one of the things I, I was going to ask you is, what is most misunderstood about you but I feel like this conversation answered it in that I think people forget that you're a human being and just see you as a talking head and a personality um I felt very connected to you as just a human being ah thanks yeah I think the probably working here you get misunderstood that oh you subscribe to a certain set of ideals or thinking which I don't believe or stereotypes which I do not believe are exist in this office having been on the inside and I wouldn't just say that I truly believe that all of these guys and women in this office are very good people and no one has ever made me feel in a way uncomfortable but I think because of what the brand um exudes in a social media capacity and its stereotypes and reputation that I am somewhat of a lesser female for it Mm -hmm. or that I uh, you know that I'm some frat girl that likes to take her shirt off and get wild and woo you know Julie be careful working there you know that's you don't want to have another lap dance incident it's like no that's that's not why we're here and also that's that's not what this place is about Mm -hmm. so that would be like the biggest misconception Mm -hmm. one of the pillars on which this stands is speak your truth um, so what would be your truth? It can be a motto or something you'd really believe in that you would want to share with everyone. I don't know what the exact motto would be, but like I when I had this article that came out the other day on it's called on spun dot com. It was just like about myself and my journey. And it was it was really cool because it reading my words like inspired me. And I thought, wow, how surreal mm. is that? Right. That like my me could like inspire me while I'm reading it. And it kind of made me emotional because I thought it was, first of all, different ideas of changing your way of thinking, your job, your life, like being challenged, but also moving. It was like moving from L.A. where I felt I felt very comfortable and I was relaxed. I felt retired almost. And then to going being like, no, like I need to get back to the grit. Like I need to hustle. There's still so much work left to be done. But the idea that like anything is possible, and I honestly so believe that. Mm. And I read this book, You're a Badass, Jen Sincero, who, which was really opened up my mind and it kind of just like took down all these boundaries in my head mm-hmm. of it's like everything is possible, but you have to fucking work for it. And and it's um like it's my, my motto is just like you just got to keep going. You know, mm-hmm. and it's tough. And there's days where you're like, 
is this ever going to happen? Like, mm-hmm. is it ever like when can I finally relax? And I don't think you can ever relax. And I think that's good. But I think that you can find ways in which to enjoy yourself while hustling that you're not killing yourself. But you can't take the foot off the pedal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. And um, I kind of tell young kids in the industry, too, that, you know, you want it when you first start. You're like, I want to be the best. I want to be on Good Morning America and host Sports Center and do all these also traditional ways of how we see media. And it's like, no, you got to go go to buck crack nowhere and, <laughs> and work your ass off. And it's going to suck. Yeah. And it helps remind you like what you want and why you're doing it. And sometimes on the hardest days, even when people remind you like how far you've come and it's like, oh, you've worked all these places and you're there. And no matter where you are, you're always going to feel those feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be fully satisfied no matter where you are, because also the dream changes. Mm-hmm. But I always um, I, I'm such a romantic in like La La Land. And I love that, you know, she it was so real while being a musical that was not real. Oh, we're actually talking about the real La La yeah. Land. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I should be like La La Land's promoter because I'm obsessed <laughs> with it where it was just, it was so real and that like nothing, you know, all these auditions, nothing's working, nothing's happening. She does her own show and it's just like, even that didn't really work out. And then it's, it's when like it, it is random, but it's, it's hard work that meets opportunity. That's all these things. And, um, there's just some like just real moments like she was outside like with Ryan Gosling she's like I maybe I'm just not meant to do this and he's like no you are and you mm-hmm. just have to like always remember that that you are whatever mm-hmm. you want to do and whatever you want to be so mm-hmm. I love that haven't seen it but I'll, I'll yeah you got to see it <laughs> I like cry my eyes out every time I see it because it you and I think you might see it in a way I see it I think other people saw it differently like more of a love story I saw it more of a making your dreams happen like mm-hmm. any dreamers and that's what I when I was reading my words it was like I love LA and New York because the people you meet and not just limiting to these two cities but like they all want something they're like they all have a dream that might be realistic might not be but it's like you're going to make it happen you're mm-hmm. trying to make it happen and I love that mm-hmm. what would you say is the lesson that took you the longest to learn mm. uh, I don't know maybe just like probably just being like comfortable with who you are and um I'm thinking I think I'm learning it more and more working here that like not to just roll over and take what someone says but to stand up for yourself Mm. um that would probably be and if I don't like it like I've become very feisty that I wasn't before I've become very no I don't agree with that or no I don't like that and I don't think Maybe I was like trying to be too polite or too agreeable before. Mm-hmm. And now it's, I don't care. Now you're you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think your 10-year-old self, um, who's in the brink of dealing with a divorce, what do you think she would say to you now? What do you think she would think about you now? I think she'd be really impressed. Like, definitely. Um, sometimes I have to think, like, it's. I've done some really cool things. Um, I've lived like a thousand lives and, uh, I was always very dedicated then. I wanted to be like in the Olympics for figure skating and like all these crazy ass dreams, but these ones have been very good as well. So I think she'd be, uh, yeah, I think she'd just be really impressed. Mm -hmm. Last two flaws. What are some of the flaws that you could list out for us that, that you have, maybe you're even proud of? Uh, like I'm very obsessive compulsive about like everything I to a fault th- 
think about things over and over and over again. And if I've said something to someone or done something, I like I have a really hard time moving on from just obsessing about them. Mm. Until someone, usually like my mom, is like, all right, it's fine. Like, <laughs> stop talking about that. Probably should see a therapist. But um, And actually, a fortune teller was like, oh, you you have this like brain line where your mind goes around in circles. All the time. Mm. I was like, that is every person. But <laughs> so um, OCD, like anxiety filled and um, I guess uh, sometimes jealousy mm. too. Um, I would, I very much used to, not as much anymore, but still do, but compare myself to other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially when I worked at Fox Sports 1, it, I always looked at what the other women who were hired at the same time as me were getting and it made me resent them. Mm. So that's, those would be probably two of my biggest flaws. Mm-hmm. We could talk about that all fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lastly, I always have people fill in this sentence, Alianka, you really should be asking this. What do you feel I should be asking? Oh, to me, uh, I mean, that's a tough one on air, probably. Um, I think you've asked, like, pretty much everything because I've definitely opened up about things I might not w- might not have. Um, I guess it would probably be, like, what do you want? Like, what is it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is all of this for? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm still, I'm trying to figure out what that is. Like, what is it? Like, when will you be happy? Right. I think we're all trying to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Like, when do you say can you you can take a breath and be like, I did it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anyone can. Mm-hmm. But I think also our goals change all the time. Like when you talk about your 10 year old self, it's like, oh, what would she think? She'd be really impressed. Well, then how come I'm not impressed right now? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's definitely. um I don't know. It's it's what I see it. What I see myself being happy in is having like a a big job on like hosting the Today Show or Good Morning America, having my own show on one of those. And it would be me. It's me in Times Square. It's uh, money. It's it is fame. It's 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 celebrity. But it's because of what you're doing, not just for it. Um, it's like a family and it's, it's everything. It's having everything. Mm. So I got to start working on that. Yeah. Two things. One is we'll talk about the content five tonight at the women's circle and that will help you understand happiness. And the second thing is I fucking love that question because people just answer it on their own. Yeah. It's really <laughs> well, good. I knew it. Like I knew if I answered, <laughs> you'd, be, you'd say like, okay. And? Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it was really fun you. for me. I hope it was fun for you. I know. Now I'm like, okay, I'm very enlightened for the rest of my day. Yeah. We feel like we had a great therapy session. Yeah. Now we can take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> no, but really I appreciate you. Um, and for being vulnerable because there's strength and vulnerability and people don't say that. So, um, I want you to know that you're a strong wild feminist. <laughs> well, thank you. And I hope <laughs> anyone listening can like, maybe it helps them or 100%. like we're all real. Right. Yeah. So hundred percent. Cool. Thank you. Amazing. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> it's like, wow, you, you basically are like a therapist. Me? <laughs> like just like the way you listen and stuff. And it's like, yeah. 
Make sure you follow Julie on all the social medias on Twitter. She is at JSB underscore TV on Instagram at JulieSB underscore Facebook at JSB989 or just Julie Stewart Binks. Make sure to watch her content and listen to her radio show, all of it through Barstool Sports. The radio show in particular is awesome and it's that's the studio where we recorded. Watch her segment, Julie Stewart Drinks. I'm still looking to do one of those with her. And like I said to the NHL, if you guys are doing things that are important for men, let me know if you're not. I'm so ready to do a workshop for you. I'm making that commitment now. For everybody else, please like and review and subscribe to this podcast. Please share it with friends and family. Please post all your tweetable moments or quotable moments on all your social medias. And if you have suggestions for guests, send them my way. Thanks for listening. See you next time.